Here's a quick word from our football educational partners over at the Scouting Academy. Listen, we've said it all the time. If you love the analysis and you're passionate about football, then you really need to check out the Scouting Academy. Whether you're a football coach, aspiring writer, or even aspiring football agent, the Scouting Academy is really a perfect place for you to learn and develop your skills as an analyst. With curriculum that spans over 375 years of coaching and personnel experience, the Scouting Academy offers you a 16-week online course that you can tailor and build to meet your needs and your interests. Whether you're learning about wide receivers or defensive linemen, you can make the experience what you want it to be. Listen, I've said it to you on this podcast many times. I've spent my own money, my own time, and time away from my friends and family because I am just this passionate about this game. And the Scouting Academy is the place where I really feel like I've learned the most I've ever learned about the game of football. It's made me a better analyst. It's made me a better person in terms of the coaching I do on the field. I can't say enough great things about it. If you have any questions about the Scouting Academy, please don't hesitate to reach out to Dan Hatman on Twitter or reach out to the Scouting Academy online via email. I'm open to all questions as well. Heck, I'm still even a student there myself. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I really think that once you learn all the tools and gain the knowledge that they have to offer, I really think you're going to be absolutely excited about the game of football again. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. And we are back. This is another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me this evening to recap night one of the 2019 NFL Draft, I have with me Jake Anderson from Dynasty League Football and co-host of the Dino Crossroads podcast. Jake, welcome to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. Oh man, Paul, thanks for having me on. It's been It's been quite the evening, hasn't it? Absolutely. This night started with a lot of hope as a Giants fan. And the night kind of started out quickly turning sour and just continued to go downhill. I was fortunate enough to be on the live Football Guys uh, draft feed earlier tonight as the Daniel Jones pick came in. And there was a lot of reaction to that, mostly negative, as most would expect. But uh, we'll get to that in a second. So a lot to talk about here. Night one in the books. So let's get right into it. We'll go through. I'll, I'll give my quick thoughts on each pick and then obviously bring you in for anybody you want to comment in on as well. So right at the top, the Arizona Cardinals do what we expected and they make Kyler Murray the first pick in the draft. Obviously, good arm, undersized, but can make every throw, accurate at all three levels, got that elite athleticism, can play off structure, keeps his eyes downfield, moves around the pocket, always looking to make the big play. They pulled the trigger. Cliff Kingsbury gets his guy, and Josh Rosen is officially on the trade block now, so they pulled that off. At pick number two, obviously, it was the San Francisco 49ers taking Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa uh, out of Ohio State, the edge prospect, 
a no-brainer pick here. Once Murray went off the board at one, it made sense to go with Bosa. Great size frame, good athleticism, movement skills. Can His best is probably a defensive end in a 4-3, but can play 5-tech. Could be an edge rusher in a 3-4. Great play strength, hands, technical usage, outstanding pick. The Jets just sit there. They get who I consider the best player in the draft. Quinn Williams from Alabama. Good size, great athleticism, movement skills. Good play strength, great instincts, good in run defense, can disrupt the pass game as well. Great pick there for the Jets. Raiders with the first stunner of the night take edge edge prospect Cleveland Farrell from Clemson. He's got great size and frame. He's only got functional to average athleticism and movement skills. He doesn't have that explosive bend and burst, but good play strength, real high character guy, good first step bend. And pass rush, just not that explosive, like top level type, you know, pass rusher like a Khalil Mack style. And then the Bucks make the pick that everyone was expecting them. Take linebacker Devin White from LSU, one of the top blue chip defensive players in this draft class. Good to great athleticism, can play sideline to sideline, immediate impact starter at inside linebacker to replace Quan Alexander. Jake, any thoughts on any of those first five picks there? Obviously, Murray was the, the one we most were most expecting. We had some other chalk there with Bosa and Quinn and Williams and Devin White and then Cleveland Farrell, the surprise one. So anybody from that top five that really piqued your interest? I mean, I think those top five picks were completely chalk, except obviously number four in Oakland there. I thought, that, I mean, <laughs> Oakland came out and said they were going to shock some people. And I don't think anybody saw that coming whatsoever. I mean, Cleveland Farrell, you know, wins more with power than with speed. Can't really bend off the edge. I mean, he's a, he seems like a solid contributor that's not going to be special at the next level. That one shocked me. You know, he was going in mocks in the, in the teens, mid to late teens, or even in the 20s. Uh, like Seattle was a popular guy for him to get mocked to. I thought that was really <laughs> mind-boggling there. I thought it was going to be Ed Oliver. I thought that was going to be the shocker. I thought there was an outside chance that maybe TJ Hawkinson could have been there as well. Um, but then we had Josh Allen fall. I thought for sure that'd be locked in, loaded there. Um, you know, those top four picks would be pretty pretty steady there. And then obviously we saw Tampa Bay taking Devin White and every mock known to existence. So um, really chalk there except that, that Cleveland Farrell pick. Yeah, the Cleveland Farrell pick really surprised me. He's a good player. I mean, I thought he was a guy no, he who, is. you know, somewhere in that like 10 to 20 range would have been his ideal spot. But just stunning to see that if they wanted the edge guy, it wouldn't have been Khalil Mack. I'm sorry, it wouldn't have been Josh Allen, who would have been a little bit more representative of a Khalil Mack type player. Obviously, to put that kind of burden on anybody is not fair, but... Allen was just a little bit more of that explosive athlete, similar to a Khalil Mack. It was interesting to see. Obviously, we had heard the whispers that they were up to something unique and different, and it, clearly it was. And I thought it was going to be probably the most surprising, crazy pick in the first round. And then pick number six came. But before <laughs> we get there, I want to get your quick thoughts. Kyler Murray, super flex if we, if we do a little bit of a fantasy spin. Mm-hmm. Super flex rookie drafts. Obviously, a lot to play out still on night two. You know, obviously, night for day three as well, but I don't think anybody from day three is really going to impact the top of rookie drafts. In a super flex league, do you think now Kyler Murray, his dual threat ability, does he warrant the 1.01 or somewhere in those first couple of picks? Oh, he's been my 101 for quite a while now. And honestly, I don't think any landing spot for any of these players, even in the first round, would have gotten me off of Kyler in at that 101 position. I mean, I took him recently as quarterback 
Uh, I drafted the 101 in a startup in the fourth round. Is And obviously, I'm going to take Kyler there. That was my plan because he was my first quarterback in the Superflex draft. So um, I took him as quarterback 13. And I think he's closer to maybe even quarterback 10. I just think he's, if you like Lamar Jackson, you know, we saw what his floor was last year. We didn't really get to see his ceiling. And I think that's what he can produce. You know, I think he's... Uh, maybe 80% of the runner, the rusher that Lamar Jackson is. And I think he's you know, twice as good as a passer. So um, I think it's going to be interesting. The, you know, Kingsbury should run a you know, pretty high profile offense, um, hopefully score a lot of points. That's what I'm hoping for. So I'm also excited about Christian Kirk. I think that's going to fit really well, kind of be that Hollywood Brown for him there. And then obviously I think DJ getting involved him in space and in the passing game is going to be tremendous for his value. So uh, for me, it's all wheels up for Kyler Murray. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I think he belongs at the top of in two quarterback or super flex leagues. He should be right near the top uh, you know, of your rookie dynasty drafts. What about in one quarterback leagues? Where do you think, you know, is he a guy that obviously you're a big fan of his game, his versatility, his ability to make things happen, rushing and receiving? Do you think in one quarterbacks where one quarterback dynasty leagues, the quarterbacks tend to get devalued besides like the elite of the elite? Do you think he still is going to be a top 12, top 10? You know, is he going in round one of regular one quarterback dynasty rookie drafts, you think? I think this this first round may have um, made that possible. <laughs> like, I, I never even would have considered it. Um, and I, I think we call it kind of all expected, not a lot of uh, running backs or wide receivers to go in this first round. So I don't think so. I mean, I don't think I'd really take – any quarterback in the first round of a one QB, they're just, they're, their value is just really not a lot, not worth, you know, like a, a position player that you can get, a skill position player that actually can contribute and will have a little bit more trade value. They basically have to turn into a top five quarterback to really be worth anything. So, um, you know, we have a lot of this draft to play out, but I would still say that he's going to be in that early second round, probably area at best. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I could see him sneaking into the late part of round one if a team really uh, is lacking a younger quarterback for the long haul. And obviously, if they're just really a big fan of Kyler Murray. So let's go. Let's get this back into what happened in the next five picks. At number six, the pick that I'd like to just kind of <laughs> gloss over, but the New York Giants do what everyone was saying, but most people thought it might be a little bit later in the draft. They select quarterback Daniel Jones from Duke. Listen, let's talk about some of the positives first. He's got good size and frame, prototypical. He's He's got good athleticism, mobility. His arm talent, I think, is more on the average to above average. He can push the ball vertically down the field and make most NFL throws, but he's just not as comfortable uh, or as confident in his vertical throws or his throws into tight windows or outside the numbers uh, with regularity. He's more of a guy who's got to function in the short to intermediate parts of the field. He can be used on design rollouts, move the launch point. He At times, he shows the ability to go through progressions, obviously played in a pro-style offense there with David Cutcliffe. We've heard a lot about that, that tutelage. Uh, a lot of similarities in terms of mannerisms and, and work ethic to the Manning brothers. All that's great, but there's a lot of concerns there with him as well. I brought up some of them. His accuracy at times was very spotty. His inconsistent play was it just a product of the 
offensive line and the receivers being uh, very lackluster at Duke. Uh, he's got to show the ability to go for progressions a little bit quicker while he goes for progressions at the NFL. Everything's going to be faster at times. I thought his, you know, his play speed in terms of going through things, his like internal clock needed to be sped up a little bit. So there's a lot of questions there. Very surprised the Giants made him the second quarterback off the board as early as they did. But you have been hearing the whispers that a lot of NFL teams did have him as QB2. He wasn't my QB2. He was my QB5. Um, so obviously, as a Giants fan, a little disappointed in, in how this played itself out. I'll bring you in on him on a second. At pick seven, the Jaguars, I think, got the best value maybe in the entire draft, getting uh, edge rusher Josh Allen from Kentucky. Great size, frame, length, athleticism, movement skills. Great first step, bend, and pass rush skills. He can play in coverage, so he's very versatile. Uh, he can set the the edge as well and play to run. So I thought that was a great value there. Maybe get that a little bit of that swag back there for the Jaguars. Detroit Lions at pick eight took TJ Hawkinson out of Iowa. I think he's one of the best pound for pound uh, players in this draft class. Great size, good frame, athleticism, good length, strength, hands, ability to high point the ball well and use his body to win in contested situations, complete tight end. He's going to play 90% of the snaps probably immediately due to his run blocking ability, pass blocking ability, and his receiving ability. I've compared him to a more athletic version of Hunter Henry. Some people even higher. They said they see glimpses of Gronk. They see George Kittle. So obviously the ceiling and the floor very high, I think, for a player like Hawkinson. The Bills stayed at nine and got their guy they wanted, defensive tackle Ed Oliver from Houston. While undersized, elite athleticism, quickness, burst, and movement skills, interior disruptor that can get into the backfield and constantly get after the quarterback. Three down, starting three tech in a four three scheme is his best situation, and that's what he's going to be playing there in Buffalo. And at pick 10, the Steelers made a bold move up and got the guy they needed, linebacker Devin Bush uh, out of Michigan, average size, good frame, two-year starter, very good athleticism and quickness, can play sideline to sideline, good play strength, can blitz, he's got cover skills. Can play weak side in a 4-3 or inside in a 3-4. I thought it was a home run pick by them. They've been trying to fill that linebacker void since the unfortunate situation with Ryan Shazier. So, Jake, thoughts on the Daniel Jones, as bad as it, I think it is, worse? Anything positive to say about that? And any I, other I, thoughts? <laughs> I'm thinking that there's no way that you could be lower on Daniel Jones because you, you have to hold on to some glimmer of hope that this is not a disaster pick here. Uh, but I think the main storyline here is what's the problem with Josh Rosen in the, for the Giants organization? Why are the Mars so low on him? Um, obviously, they just took Kyler. Uh, there's talk that maybe you could get him for a third. I, I mean, at the very worst, you would be able to get him for the 17th pick, don't you think? Yeah, and I even think the pick they just used to move up at the end of the first round, I think if they would have called the Cardinals mm -hmm. tonight and offered pick 37 straight up, I think it would have been a done deal. So think about that. They could have literally had Rosen for pick 37 and then took in Josh Allen, and, and then even if they wanted Dexter Lawrence still at 17, who we'll get to, they could have had that. But I will say this about the Josh Rosen thing. It's not just the Giants. And that's something I know the Giants are easy to pick on and I'm a diehard fan, but I'll pick on them as much as anyone and criticize them because I, I call it for what it is. But there's obviously stuff going on in the NFL. The Giants aren't alone in not loving 
Josh Rosen because there's other teams out there that don't seem, you know, maybe they're saying the Dolphins get him, but only if it doesn't cost a lot because they want to still maybe be in play next year. I mean, imagine being the Dolphins and you trade for Josh Rosen as a third round pick, but then they stink again. And next year they want Tua and it's a repeat of this year. Like, so there's, there didn't seem to be a lot of teams that loved him last year. The Cardinals came up and kind of took a spot for him. The Giants passed on him last year. The Broncos passed on him last year. The Bills said we like Josh Allen more. The Jets said we like Sam Darnold more. So I I get it. I like Josh Rosen. Draft Twitter likes Josh Rosen. You know, the fantasy community likes Josh Rosen, the prospect. There's something about it that's just not connecting the pieces to why the NFL is just not as high on him, whether it's the coachability, the character, the personality, whatever it is. There's got to be reasons why teams weren't willing to offer that first round pick. So it's fascinating. I think he gets traded tomorrow night. We'll see if it's a team like the Chargers or the Patriots, maybe the Dolphins. Uh, you know, but it's gonna. That's an interesting storyline to follow, and, and I'm not sure. I mean, obviously the Giants fan, I would have much preferred that package, and I think that would have been way better value. But it just seems to be there's something that the NFL either knows or thinks they know about Josh Rosen and why they're, they seem to be so down on him uh, and no one's willing to pony up something that can kind of satisfy the Cardinals' needs already. And if so, it would have been a done deal already, unless everyone was just kind of slow playing it to see if they can get him on a, a, a kind of cheaper value. Really bizarre. Any other thoughts on that or anybody else in the – six through 10 there that either gets you really excited from, you know, an on-field guy, a guy in IDP, or any thoughts on Hawkinson and how he transitions maybe to the NFL and fantasy? Sure. I mean, just just going back to that Rosen thing, it just feels like there's there, there's got to be some kind of lack of leadership in some of these organizations. Um, I mean, the head coach's job is to manage personalities and just because a guy and the, again, this might be my narrative on the situation. We don't know the whole story, but it just appears to me like they're so afraid of a guy that speaks his own mind, thinks for himself. I mean, for me, that that fact alone is such a demerit in a lot of these old school general managers and people running front offices. I think it's a little bit scary. And I think hopefully one day that I will change. And again, there might be more to that story, but that's just what it appears from my perspective. And I think a lot of people's perspective Um, moving on, obviously Jacksonville, great value there. You know, they just sit back and and took whatever player fell there. Um, It would have been interesting if they would have, you know, taken an offensive tackle or which way they would have gone. Maybe they would have taken TJ Hawkinson if Josh Allen wasn't there. And it's just so funny how, you know, these chess pieces can fall certain ways and it just, completely derails and uh, redirects the way the draft board falls completely off of one or two picks. Um, TJ Hawkinson, top eight pick, you know, you know, that's great for his draft capital. I think he's going to be a safe lock as a mid to late uh, first round rookie pick, you know, tight end premium leagues. Uh, We'll see how the board falls tomorrow, but I think he's definitely going to be a mid round pick there. Um, I like TJ Hawkinson a lot. I think he's super safe. Um, I personally am a little bit worried that he's not going to get utilized enough in the passing game. And I think people are still going to have a little bit of an Eric Ebron stigma there as far as Detroit tight ends. You know, they get stuck and burned in those memories. And then we see Eric Ebron leave to the Indianapolis Colts and just have a career year. So, um, you know, I'm not really settled on that. I don't really have a good feel for it. 
Um, I'd be interesting to hear a little more from you on that perspective. And then Ed Oliver, I thought that, I mean, it was funny that they said the Bills were planning to maybe possibly trade up for Ed Oliver, and then he fell there. So I thought that was a good value. And then Pittsburgh Steelers, I mean, this linebacking class is just really not very good. So there's Devin White, there's Devin Bush, there was the two Devins, and then it was, you know, we might not see another linebacker until the fourth round potentially, or at least maybe the third. So for only giving up two fourths to move up 10 spots in the first round, I thought that was a really good deal for them. Um, Devin Bush was actually my linebacker one. And again, I don't scout these players like I used to. Uh, before I started playing Dynasty, I, you know, I paid attention to all positions. And now as definitely more um categorized on the skill positions for me so um, those are my takeaways there Uh, i'd like to actually hear uh some more thoughts about tj hawkinson from you yeah i mean hawkinson's one of those guys who i love the player in Mm -hmm. terms of the immediate fantasy out out i'm not sure in terms of the output that we're going to see right away in fantasy you know the lions seem to be a team now ran by patricia that they want to be a power running team they want to build up their defense i think hawkinson adds to their you know ability to run the run the football because he is such a good blocker i don't know how immediate he's going to be a really big time fantasy asset. I think it could take some time there. You know, I think the guy who's actually going to be, have the most immediate impact hasn't even been drafted yet. And, and that's going to be Irv Smith Jr. I think if he goes early in, in, second round, he could be the guy that has the most immediate impact in terms of fantasy. Cause I do think it'll be interesting to see what Denver does with Noah fan. And we'll talk about him a little bit more later, but I just, I, I worry a little bit that the, the, progression of Noah Fant could be a little bit David Njoku-like in terms of understanding route tree and route refinement and stuff like that. But Hawkinson, he's going to be on the field a lot. So I think that helps in the, in the cause. But I do think that because he's such a good blocker, that's going to some at times hurt his value. And I just don't see the Lions, like obviously Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, you know, they, they have some pieces there already. I think Hawkinson is a guy who in a tight end premium league, he could sneak into the, the late round one, I think, of a dynasty rookie draft. I think in most other drafts, he's probably looking at more of a round two type pick in dynasty rookie drafts. I think it could take some time. Maybe he has some tight end two moments here or there this year. I think he's going to be a little bit more like we used to remember, like we got to wait it out a little bit at the tight end mm-hmm. position. I mean, Evan Ingram spoiled us a couple years ago with his rookie year. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that quickly that he becomes a huge weapon that he's super fantasy viable in redraft leagues, you know, as a tight end one. I think he has that upside. I just think we're going to have to kind of let him grow and develop a little bit more and hopefully not be too concerned about the fact that he's such a great blocker. I mean, I'm hoping that Patricia was in New England long enough and sort of the impact and the role that uh, Gronkowski had on that offense and he sees that and the GM as well as a guy who came from the Patriots. So I think they're looking at him as being a big focal point of that offense. I just don't know how quickly that translates to fantasy stats. Don't you think that just being drafted in the top 10 will probably likely uh, increase his value or increases, um, you know, rookie draft ADP, or at least is when we actually start getting these rookie drafts going um, to the point where he's probably not affordable anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think I do think that it has 
that's definitely possible. I think a lot of it depends on how early the skill players come off the board tomorrow. If we have as many as like five or six, seven wide receivers going round two, and I think it's possible we could have mm-hmm. 13 total go tomorrow. <laughs> and I think it's possible. And, and we're probably going to get four or five running backs tomorrow. So how many of them going round two? How many going round three? If those landing spots are ideal, I do think you could push Hawkinson back down to, you know, maybe more of his appropriate range. And I think people, you know, I think most people thought he had a legitimate chance to go top 10, top 12. Mm-hmm. I this, That was one of my fortunate picks that I, I, I picked right in my mock draft that I, I, I had the Lions selecting Hawkinson. So I thought he I thought he was going off the board seven or eight or nine. So maybe some other people thought differently. I thought I thought he wasn't getting past that Jacksonville, Detroit and, and Buffalo trio there. And that's how it kind of ended up playing out. But I do think that. I, I'm hoping and more realistic that I think his fantasy impact should be a little bit reserved and he should be a little bit more round two type player than round one, even though he was a top 10 pick and we didn't have a lot of skill players go on round one. I guess we'll kind of see what happens tomorrow in landing spots, uh, but I do think it could take him a little bit of time. But I do think in the long run, he has a chance to be a top six, top eight tight end in fantasy. But it, it's probably going to take a couple years before maybe we see him maximize that. So it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, let's get let's get back in this and keep this going. At, at pick 11, the Bengals chose Jonah Williams. I think he's one of the best offensive linemen in this class. Very versatile, great size, average frame, four-year starter, can play left tackle, Right tackle. Some people think in the NFL he could play guard and center. So even if he fails at one spot or is average at one spot, it's possible he could be an all pro somewhere else very much. Like when the Cowboys drafted Zach Martin, great techniques, great play strength, uh, home run pick there for the Bengals if they decided they didn't want to go with the quarterback. At 12, the Packers, to me, in a surprising pick after their free agent moves, take Rashawn Gary from Michigan. Uh, maybe he's going to be in defensive end maybe he's gonna be a linebacker five tech he's another versatile guy he's got great size and frame with great athleticism and movement skills for his size he's got the length he's got the play strength he's got some pass rush he's a little bit linear though he's not very not good at going uh laterally too much uh he can set the edge play the run but there's some questions about an injury that kind of sidelined him a little bit this past year might need surgery but might have to may be able to play for his rookie year and then get it. Uh, so that's an interesting one to kind of to watch closely. But I thought they were going to maybe go offensive skill player there. The Dolphins take Christian Wilkins out of Clemson. I think he's very underrated. Good size frame, uh, average above average to good athleticism and movement skills. Great character. He can be really cause disruption in the backfield. I think he's immediate starting three tech defensive tackle. The Falcons with a surprise pick. I think after the uh, Giants pick and the Raiders pick, Atlanta picking Chris Lindstrom at 14 was a stunner out of Boston College. Thought he was going to go round one, but I thought a little bit more later in the round. But he's got good size, good frame, uh, great to lead athleticism, quickness, and movement skills for a guard. He's good in pass protection. He's ideal a in a zone running scheme. So he's an immediate starter. You want to get him out in motion uh, and set the edge a lot of plays uh, that can get to the outside. He's ideal in. And then I uh, pick 15, the Redskins, Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback. I want the Giants to take the Redskins. We're talking about yesterday, maybe training up to pick three to get this guy. They sit there at 15. They get their guy, ideal size and frame, very good arm talent and accuracy enables them to win at all three levels of the field. He wasn't asked to push the ball vertically a lot at Ohio state, but I think he can do it. He shines in the intermediate range, throws a great touch and anticipation 
He's got a quick, clean release. I know some people are concerned about his footwork and him needing a lot of space around him, and I think those are viable concerns. But the Redskins have a pretty good offensive line there, uh, and I think he processes things really quickly and gets the ball out quickly into his playmaker's hands. So any thoughts on any of the picks there? Obviously, I want to hear your thoughts on Haskins. Uh, if there's anybody else before him, feel free, but definitely thoughts on Haskins. Yeah, I just I thought the Rashawn Gary was was interesting. I thought they were definitely going to go either a skill position player there or actually one of those tackles. Uh, Christian Wilkins, solid player. I thought that was a good fit. Uh, Chris Lindstrom, it was super surprising to me to see him as a second offensive lineman off the board. Um, you know, he was definitely a guy that was getting mocked and you know towards the late uh, end of round one there, even round two sometimes. And that was a shocker to me. And then going to Dwayne Haskins, uh, I've been on record just not being the biggest Dwayne Haskins fan. There was several games where I watched his tape and I just could not get over how poor his footwork was in the pocket. I think he doesn't have the mobility to move outside of the pocket. So I think if he's going to be pressured, I think he's going to be in trouble. Obviously, that Washington line has, is good. It's talented. It also hasn't been healthy for the last couple of years. And then add a pile on to that and we'll see what they do tomorrow but um just not a lot of skill positions there to give them help so um i'd be i'm i'm probably not going to be buying haskins at his current price in super flex leagues he's going to go cheap enough in one quarterback leagues that i mean i probably won't take him there either but um just not a guy that i'm a fan of i could be wrong on that um i went into the process thinking i was going to like haskins but uh, I just couldn't get over that footwork, and I've been wrong about guys with footwork before, so it wouldn't shock me if I'm wrong there. But um, he's a, he's a guy that I'd probably be avoiding just at his cost. Yeah, listen, I think those are legitimate concerns, and there are other concerns. Those concerns are shared by other people in the industry. So, I mean, it's not you're not on an island on that. There is some legitimate. And listen, the fact that he fell to 15, the fact that the Giants weren't interested in him, the fact that the Bengals there was some talk they weren't interested in him. I do think that there was some people legitimately concerned about him transitioning to the next level. So, you know, I, I see a player who I think is going to transition, but I also see the, the, the concerns and limitations that some people may have for him and think that he's far from a finished product. And he only had that one year of experience. So I totally get it. I think in, Superflex leagues, he's 100% going to go in round one. Uh, I would feel comfortable with that. In one quarterback leagues, I think he's much more of a mid to late second round guy or maybe even an early third round guy after tomorrow. But he's going to be a guy who I've comped. I think he's very much in the Jameis Winston or Ben Roethlisberger type mold in terms of stylistically what type of player he's going to be. So we'll see how he transitions there. He doesn't have a lot of guys around there. You know, we don't know if they're going to have a run game, what's going to make of Darius Geis. Their wide receivers are very mediocre at best. And obviously Washington has not been an ideal spot for people to kind of harness their skills and grow and develop there and, you know, poor ownership and stuff like that. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see if he maximizes his talent there. But obviously it'll be a lot, a lot of comparisons between him on the Redskins and then Giants with Daniel Jones. And we'll see, uh, you know, hopefully uh, what the Giants think of Daniel Jones is right. And uh, what I thought of Daniel Jones is wrong. And maybe what I thought of Dwayne Haskins was wrong. And maybe hey, the, the Giants I mean, have it right. 
the good thing is we're wrong all the time, right? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, so quarterbacks in the first round are hard to hit. And, yeah. you know, some people, you know, pan out that we don't expect it and vice versa. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens with those guys. At pick 16, the Panthers selected one of my favorite edge prospects, Brian Burns out of Florida State. Love the size. He's, he, he came in, in the combine at like 250. So we checked off and coming in at a decent frame. Great athleticism, quickness and movement skills. Great to elite bend and burst, first step and pass rush skills. He can cover and drop down. Obviously, the question for him is, can he hold up in the run game? Can he play against the run? Can he set the edge? Can he be a three-down player? But to me, he's an immediate starting 3-4 outside pass rushing linebacker. Or if you want to play him in a 4-3, he's got to play a little bit of that speed edge 4-3 defensive end like a Robert Mathis back in the day for the Indianapolis Colts. At pick 17, Giants were back on the clock. I thought they were maybe going to go uh, Montez Sweat, a top-level pass rusher, or go t- and solidify the offensive line. They took defensive tackle Dexter Lawrence out of Clemson. I don't think the value is terrible. He's great size and frame, good athleticism, quickness and movement skills for his size, elite power and play strength, can stuff the run, has some ability to get some interior pass rush as well. To me, he's a nose tackle or starting D tackle in any scheme. My biggest concern about him is in today's NFL with so many teams passing so much, is he worth a pick at 17? I like the player. I think he's a good player, but 17 to me might be a tad too high for a guy who's got to come off the field sometimes on third downs. Now, if he shows more ability uh, to rush the passer, then I think that answers that question. Uh, a lot. He was getting a lot of comparisons to Holoi Naha. If he's that, then obviously no Giants fans could have any complaints uh, with this pick. So I know I saw uh, Eric Galco said he had him rated as his fifth player. I respect Eric Galco's opinions. So that was the highest I've seen anybody on Dexter Lawrence. So, But to me, a tad of a reach. I am okay with the value. I just thought there was other places they could have went uh, to maybe maximize the value a little bit more. At 18, the Vikings took offensive lineman Garrett Bradbury from NC State. Average size and frame, but really good athleticism, quickness and play strength, good technique, can immediate starter at center, but also versatile play guard. Another guy, zone rushing schemes probably uh, fit best for him more than uh, gap power schemes. At 19, Titans surprise a little bit and take Jeffrey Simmons, the defensive tackle out of Mississippi State. Elite level talent, probably top five, top 10 in the entire class, but probably going to miss this entire year. Titans didn't really seem like the team that maybe could invest in the guy uh, and and have him redshirted entire year, but great size, frame, athleticism has been compared to Fletcher Cox. Good strength, good run stopper, can create disruption, get into the backfield, tackles for losses, sacks, all that. Versatile to play many defensive tackle positions, you know, uh, three tech, can probably play some five tech, can play some four tech, a lot of different things you can do with him as well. And then at pick 20, the Broncos, after moving back in that trade with the Steelers and picking up some, a couple uh, uh, other later draft picks, select Noah Fant, the tight end out of Iowa, good size. And receiving ability, rare athleticism for the position, dangerous weapon in the passing game, attacking the seam, crossers, and fades. Shows the ability with athleticism to make plays after the catch. But he didn't make as many as you would think in terms of like, you know, a guy like Evan Ingram who really, you know, shined in the open field. I think a little bit more like Jared Cook-esque, like when Jared Cook, you know, came out and was regarded very highly and Jared Cook has had some moments. I am concerned, like I mentioned before, about a little bit of him, his route refinement and route development and how quickly he transitions. So if they put a lot on his plate, I could see him 
taken a little bit of time to develop into a viable fantasy asset, but I love the athleticism and the upside. I just think people might expect a lot from him, especially with how often Joe Flacco used the tight ends at Baltimore. There might be a little bit of a learning progression there for Noah Fant. So Jake, thoughts on anything that happened there? 16 through 20, obviously we had Noah Fant, a skill player come off the board, and then a couple of defensive linemen uh, also as well. And then the probably the most sexy defensive pick was the edge rusher, Brian Burns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Vikings fan, so I want to touch on that. I mean, I was, I was, I wanted either Jonah Williams or I wanted Andre Dillard. Those were my top two guys for the Vikings to be targeting there. And when that run on offensive alignment didn't hit the way that I anticipated it to, I really, really wanted Andre Dillard. I really wanted that dancing bear at left tackle, best pass blocking tackle in the class. Um, I thought we could move Reef inside to guard, and that would solidify that. Um, but I do, I do think it speaks volumes that they decided to take because it, it, all these mocks, this whole process on Vikings Twitter, um, it was all about Bradbury's getting mocked there. It seems like he's the guy we're settling for because the top three tackles are going to be off the board and he's going to be the first interior offensive lineman. So I think it does say a lot that Andre Dillard was on the board and they still took Bradbury. I think they really think that he's a scheme fit in that outside zone with Gary Kubiak coming over for Denver. I think he's just such a good scheme fit there, and he has position flexibility. So they don't know if he's going to play guard or center with Pat Elfline playing guard or center. I would imagine he's going to play center, and then Eifline will uh, end up playing guard for the Vikings. But, um, you know, I think it's a – I think it's a solid pick. It's not a sexy pick. It's not going to get the fan base overly excited, but I think we almost had to take an offensive lineman there, and we had to pick a little letter, really, outside of uh, Jonah Williams, and we took Bradbury. So I think that it says a lot about how they feel about him there. And then just moving on to Noah Fant, um, you know, he's on a tier with TJ Hawkinson for me. They were very very closely um, ranked in my rankings. Um, So... For me, this whole process for, for, for those two tight ends was who's going to be cheapest in rookie drafts. That's kind of the guy I want. And I feel like with Hawkinson going to the top 10, um, Fant going to the Broncos at, at 20, Joe Flacco you know, is at the end of his rope. He does have that history with, with tight ends, which I think is beneficial for his immediate success. Um, I think he's going to be fine there. Um, but it's not overly exciting either. I think we were hoping, and we do this every every offseason. It's so funny that we just expect all of our p- favorite players to go to great landing spots and get dra- great draft capital, and it just disappoints us every year. So I think we have to mind our expectations every single year going into this process. But I like Fant there. I like Hawkinson at eight. I think I'm just going to take Fant because I think he's going to be cheaper, and I think his fantasy upside is immense, even though maybe his floor isn't as high as you'd like it to be. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think I think picking the one that presents the best value with, between those two is probably the smart move. I, I really do think in terms of long-term upside, it's about the same. I think opportunity is probably going to be about the same. Like I said before, the ability, the fact that Hawkinson is such a good blocker could actually hinder his fantasy football value at times because mm-hmm. I think no offense, obviously going to be a guy who's not asked to do a lot of that and is going to be more of a receiving threat. They also, Denver doesn't really have anything locked and loaded. I know there's a lot of Cortland Sutton fans out there, but, you know, between him and Deshaun Hamilton, there's more of an immediate opening there in in that offense, especially as something that 
Flacco has used a lot in the past, while Galladay and Marvin Jones are a little bit more locked in as, as guys who will probably be the top two targets for Stafford. So I could totally get on board in terms of dynasty rookie rankings of seeing Fant ahead of uh, Hawkinson. And, but I kind of like your philosophy of take the one that falls the furthest if you need a tight end. So keeping this going at 21, the green Bay Packers selected safety Darnell Savage out of Maryland uh, late riser, a little bit undersized, but good compact frame, good athleticism, quickness and movement skills shows the ability to change directions Good cover and ball skills and instincts can play nickel corner or free safety. He was a guy generating a lot of buzz. I projected him to go in round one uh, as and be the first safety off the board, even higher than I thought he was going to go when the Packers made that move up. I was not expecting it to be for Savage. I thought it was maybe going to be for a wide receiver like DK Metcalf or Marquise Brown, so a little bit of a surprise move there. Eagles trade up to take offensive lineman Andre Dillard, who started to slide a little bit. Great size, good frame, starting tackle, four-year starter. Uh, very good to great athleticism, quickness, and movement skills. Good play, strength, and great length. This guy is going to be probably their replacement down the line to, for Jason Peters. I think he's a great pass protector. He's got a little bit of work and development to do in terms of his run blocking, but I think he can get there and be a really strong uh you know, starting offensive tackle there for the Eagles, although it presented great value for them. Eagles usually find ways to get really good value in the draft. At 23, the Houston Texans, who desperately needed to help out Deshaun Watson and the offensive line, pick an offensive lineman, but a little bit of surprise to take Titus Howard from Alabama State. While he's got great size, he can still add a little bit more weight and muscle to his frame. He shows very good athletic skills, movement skills, for a man of his size, he's got great length. He's got the potential to develop into a starting left or right tackle. I was surprised to see them go a little bit more developmental and upside. Maybe Howard turns out to be the best one of the bunch, but I thought Jawan Taylor, but there seems to be some medical issues with Jawan Taylor that has him falling. But I thought Jawan Taylor made a little bit more sense. I thought Cody Ford made a little bit more sense. I thought maybe they should have been a little bit more aggressive and at least trying to go up one or two picks to get Andre Dillard for themselves. I think Howard is an intriguing prospect. I thought he was more of a day two guy. And I don't know how much he's an immediate guy that can step in and protect Deshaun Watson. And they desperately needed that. At pick 24, the Raiders selected running back Josh Jacobs out of Alabama. I love this player. Good size and frame. Very good athleticism on the field. You see it a lot more than maybe in the like testing, like a combine or a pro day. But I like his burst. I like his play speed, the acceleration. I think he's got lateral quickness. The play strength, physicality, and toughness and finishing ability is is unlike other players that you see. To me, he's a blend between like a Mark Ingram and an Alvin Kamara, two guys who were formerly teammates. I see components of Alvin Kamara, the ability uh, to make things happen in the passing game, the versatility. And then I see that finishing ability and that play strength to, you know, to bully people like a Mark Ingram. So I think it's a little bit of a blend of them, but I think he's got some more agility and elusiveness in the open field and that receiving <laughs> ability that makes him a little bit more Kamara-like in that regard. So big fan of him. And then I pick 25, the Ravens select a perfect guy for their roster, but fantasy people across the world, not very excited about wide receiver Marquise Brown landing in Oklahoma. He was my number two rated wide receiver going into the draft. Love his talent while undersized, Great athleticism, elite, elite speed, bursts, and quickness. Vertical threat from inside the slot. Can also play outside. Good separation quickness. Good route runner. Much better route runner than I think people give him credit for. Explosive playmaker after the catch with elusiveness, agility, and, and that speed. But in terms of the fantasy, 
really going to be tough to really want to invest in him highly. I think even though he was the first wide receiver taken, I'm not even sure he's a round one dynasty rookie pick because it was Baltimore. goes back to what we said before about how many guys could come off the board tomorrow night early. But Jake, thoughts on these five picks? Obviously, we had a little bit of pizzazz here with Josh Jacobs mm-hmm. and Marquise Brown, two offensive skill players after we had a couple offensive linemen and a safety. Yeah, I was really shocked with the with the Packers trading up for Darnell Savage. I think it's such a deep safety class. I, I was a little bit confused about that. I mean, Darnell Savage is a good player, but late riser in the process, a guy that you didn't think that you'd probably have to trade up into the early 20s for. I thought Andre Dillard would have been a slam dunk for them there or Jawan Taylor, but obviously that's been um, – uh, come to light that he has some serious medical concerns because he was a guy that was getting mocked in the top 10. It was a lot of people's offensive tackle one in this class. So there's something going on there that we're not quite aware of. Uh, I thought Andre Dillard was arguably the steal of the draft and actually maybe a player that's coming up here in the next round was the steal of the draft potentially. Again, if medical clears there, um, which we'll get to, but I thought at this point of the draft at number 22, uh, the Eagles, you know, building the strength with the strength, uh, you know, just taking value, just like the Jacksonville Jaguars did at number seven. I thought it was a great pick. Houston Texans was a head scratcher for me. I just didn't see that coming. I know that, you know, it had been talked that the Houston Texans liked Titus Howard quite a bit, but again, I don't think that value there at 23 is very good, especially with other offensive linemen on the board. You mentioned that I think Cody Ford would be a good fit there. Um, and then moving down to Oakland Raiders, finally, and I heard, I can't remember who said it, but this is the longest it's ever been in draft history for a running back to to go. So 24 picks with no running back or wide receiver. I believe it was the first time ever. I think that's what um, – God, it was somebody on NFL Network. I can't remember. It was Rich Eisen, I believe, that said it. And uh, I didn't investigate it, but I just took him for his word. But um, that's pretty surprising there. Um, You know, Josh Jacobs was a guy that was connected to John Gruden and the Raiders this whole time. He was a very popular mock pick there. Um, For me, I love Josh Jacobs. He's my running back, too, going into this process. Very close behind David Montgomery for me. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. He does. He's such a well-rounded back. You don't get it. You don't see a guy that's this physical, this shifty, this explosive, that's this comfortable as a pass catching back. So it remains to be seen what kind of workload he's going to get, but I think he's just a special player. And then Marquise Brown, he's a guy that I, I like quite a bit. I think he's my wide receiver five coming in. Um, you know, I think he's getting dinged by a lot of people. Um, obviously the injury concerns are there. This first round capital, I don't think is going to help his case at all. I've actually been taking him in, uh, in the middle, uh, of round two in a lot of dynasty rookie mocks lately. I kind of love that value. Now I think he's actually going to fall even farther. I think he's going to be a late second, early third, even being drafted in the first round. So I kind of like that value there, even with Lamar Jackson. Um, I actually think it's a really good NFL scheme fit. I don't know how great it's going to be for fantasy purposes. And, uh, like, I, I I can see a world where this is a really good match with Lamar Jackson and Hollywood Brown because they're going to load the box, try to stop the run, and then Hollywood Brown's going to stretch the field. So I think he's going to have some opportunities from, so for some really big plays. Um, but I, I don't know because <laughs> we saw what happened to John Brown last year, and that still hurts me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, listen – 
Marquise Brown schematically fits there perfectly. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to pound the rock, pound the rock, pound the rock, and there's going to be shots to be had. And he could potentially make, you know, big plays, a lot of big plays. For fantasy, it's frustrating because you don't know when they're going to happen. Like he's yeah. going to be the ideal best ball player, but to, it's hard sometimes to have those guys. Like I'm a I'm a huge John Brown fan, and he started out last year, and I was all about the you know him resurrecting his mm-hmm. career, and then he kind of went by the wayside. Now listen, I do think that we're going to see a little bit of a different type of game plan. I don't think their game plan. I would hope should. so. Yeah, their game plan this year is not going to be Lamar Jackson run 15 to 25 times a game again. That's just not going to work. I think last year they put him in there. They were trying to win games and get into the playoffs as they did. You know, I think I think this year it's going to be a little bit different. Lamar Jackson had some success throwing vertically in the college game. To yeah. me, it was throwing outside the numbers in that intermediate range to vertically where he really struggled. But he was able to connect on a lot of vertical passes, especially if it was down the middle of the field. So I do think there's going to be opportunities for Marquise Brown to make big plays. And I think he's going to have a huge tactical value because teams are going to have to account for it. So you are not going to be able to bring bolt your safeties, bolt your safeties down. Like you're going to have to leave over the top help at all times on Marquise Brown. And then that's going to help the run game. So and then if you do bring him down, well, then you're going to take a shot over the top. So I do think he brings a lot of value in that regards. I'm just not sure it's going to translate to a lot of fantasy value. So let's let's round this off. I'm going to rattle off the rest of the picks, 26 through 32, so we can wrap this up. Redskins make a big trade up uh, with the Colts to get Montez Sweat, the edge rusher, who was falling for some medical reasons. Then today the rumors came out that said the medicals might've been not as serious as they thought. So, you know, I don't know what's going on with there, but the Redskins get an impact edge rusher, great size frame, great athleticism was an absolute freak at the combine. Uh, Good play strength, good in run support as well, but I don't think that's his calling card, but he's got great length, good bend first step in pass rush skill, to me, he can play as a 3-4 outside linebacker or as a defensive end in a 4-3. Really like that. I thought the Redskins had the best uh, draft of anybody tonight, hands down. Uh, at pick 27, I think I missed 27. Oakland A's, Jonathan Abram, obviously uh, one of the top safeties in the class. Uh, interesting player. You had heard round one talk, then maybe you heard he was going to go round two. Uh, Good size, compact frame, think Keanu Neal, above average to good athleticism, speed, and burst. Good toughness, physicality in the run support. To me, he's the best of the strong safety moving forward. I have some concerns about coverage limitations, his movement, you know, ball skills. So I think he's more of a prototypical strong safety for the fantasy in the IDP world. That's going to generate a lot of buzz because, you know, people want to get those tackle numbers. So that was an interesting pick. The Raiders... The first pick was surprising. I love the Josh Jacobs pick. I thought the Abram pick was a little bit, yeah. I, I think they, there's other ways they could have went there that would have been a little bit more intriguing uh, for them. So I didn't love the pick. At pick 28, the Chargers selected uh, Jerry Tillery out of Notre Dame. Really liked this pick. He was not getting a lot of first-round buds, but I thought he was a first-round caliber player. Rare size. 
good frame, good athleticism and quickness and movement skills for his size, outstanding length, play strength and power, good run defender with some pass rush skills. He's that traditional five tech in a three, four, but he can probably play D tackle in a four, three as well. Very versatile player. 29, the Seahawks select defensive end LJ Collier from TCU. Good size and frame, functional athleticism and movement skills. Great play strength, good run defender, variety of power pass rush moves, rotational or starting defensive end in a 4-3 or 3-4 scheme. Could also maybe play some edge setting outside linebacker in a 3-4 scheme as well. At pick 30, the Giants trade up from 37 to 30, give up their late fourth and one of their three fifth round picks. They select DeAndre Baker out of Georgia. Once upon a time, he was looked at as the cornerback one in this class then around the combine and some other off the field stuff kind of character stuff kind of pushed him down he's got average size but he's got good athleticism speed and quickness with good closing bursts very good cover skills did not allow a touchdown for two years in the sec he's got good techniques uh he's got good instincts and ball skills he's a press or he's a good press or man-to-man cover cornerback so good value there Again, trying to piece the whole Giants night together, though, is a little bit questionable. Falcons in a little bit of a bizarre move. Trade up, give up their second and third round pick here. So I I was a little frustrated that Giants give up their fourth and their fifth round pick to move up. Falcons end up giving their third round pick and their second round pick to move up. Uh, And they take Caleb McGarry, another offensive lineman. They already had taken Chris Lindstrom. They had invested in free agency in multiple offensive linemen. But they get McGarry. He's got great size, good frame. Functional athleticism and movement skills, good play strength and power. To me, he's best suited as a right tackle, but also can kick inside to guard. He's better in gap schemes, and he looked good at the senior bowl. And then they rounded out the Patriots at 32, select Nikhil Harry from Arizona State. There's been a lot of discussion about Nikhil Harry. He ends up being the second wide receiver off the board. He's got good size and frame, above average to good athleticism and speed. He's got good burst and acceleration after the catch, great ball skills and body control, uses the body, body and, and ability to high point to win contested situations. He's got good hands. To me, he's versatile. He can play inside or outside. I have at times had some separation quickness concerns, uh, but obviously tremendous production. Patriots must like what they see. They must think he's pro ready to come in and immediately plug in there because they desperately are in need of a receiver to come in and impact them as well. Obviously, they lost Gronk. Uh, they lost Chris Hogan. Obviously, they use the running backs a lot. Uh, and then Julian Edelman's there, but they need another big pass catcher there. So Harry is a guy who's going to be very much on the fantasy radar and probably be at the top of most rookie dynasty drafts uh, in super flex leagues, maybe after uh, Kyler Murray. In one quarterback leagues, he has potential to be right up there with Josh Jacobs as the 1.01 or 1.02 pick at the moment. Thoughts, Jake, on any of those picks? Yeah, and you referred to Montez Sweat. I mean, it was for me, it was Andre Dillard or Monte Sweat is the steal of the draft. It seems like the Redskins do allow value just to fall in their laps a lot year after year. If they could approach free agency the way they approach a lot of these drafts, I think they'd be in a much better position. Uh, Oakland Raiders, Jonathan Abram, again, deep safety class. I think he's a limited player. I love his physicality, but strong safeties. I mean, safeties in general don't have, carry a ton of value in this league. Uh, strong safety that's a little bit limited in coverage, not a huge fan of that value there. Um, LJ Collier, he's another guy. He's like a poor man's uh, Cleveland Farrell. 
you know, wins with strength, not much of a pass rusher, can't bend the edge, a little bit confused there. I thought he'd go at least a little bit later. DeAndre Baker is a guy that I actually like quite a bit. Um, I like his ability to play press. I think he's physical. I think he tackles really well. Uh, he, I believe he left, allowed one touchdown in four years at Georgia. Um, so that's pretty impressive in itself, playing in the SEC. So I actually like that. I don't know if I like him trading up you know, in a deep cornerback class when Grady Williams still on the board. I'm not super – you know, I'm not super excited about that, but, you know, if they wanted a physical corner, um, you know, more of an Antoine Winfield rather than, you know, a, a just a more of a shadow kind of corner that's not going to help in run support, I understand it. Uh, McGarry for the Falcons, again, giving up a third-round pick for a guy that I didn't think was the best offensive lineman on the board was a little bit of a head-scratcher for me. And then finally, you know, Nikhil Harry just keeps checking off boxes. You know, his college profile is so good. His combine was good. His breakout age was good. And now he's got first-round capital to a good offense. Um, I think there are questions there about how long Tom Brady is going to be there, um, how much volume is he going to get in that offense. But I think it could be nitpicking. I think we're going to be able to nitpick all these guys. So I think all the Nikhil Harry fans, he's my wide receiver too. Um, you know, he has a chance to rise up to wide receiver one. We'll see what happens tomorrow. But I think he's just such a safe guy. And, you know, if that's what you're looking for in rookie drafts and if you want to take him 101 in a 1QB or 102 in a Superflex, I, I totally understand it. I'm not going to argue with you. I think he's a hell of a player. I think he's a beast. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how tomorrow plays out. We just didn't get a lot of excitement from a dynasty perspective tonight. No, absolutely. But I think tomorrow we're in for a lot, a lot of offensive skill players. Uh, Obviously, you know, I work on the draft projections notebook. I only thought one wide receiver was going to come off the board tonight. I thought it was going to be Marquise Brown. Nikhil Harry sneaks in there at pick 32. But I have 14 guys who I thought were going to be off the board by 102 in terms of wide receivers. So I think we're going to see Metcalf, AJ Brown, Paris Campbell, Debo Samuel, Akeem Butler, Miles Boykin, Riley Ridley, or Siegel Whiteside, Terry McLaurin, McCole Hardman, and then some possible guys like Andy Isabella, Jalen Hurd, one of my favorites who's fallen and might not even go tomorrow, Calvin Harmon. Also keep an eye on Emmanuel Hall. So I think we got at least 10 wide receivers tomorrow with as many as 12 or 13 could come off the board. I think we get another four tight ends tomorrow. I think you'll see Smith or Smith, Dawson Knox, Cahill Warren, and Jay Sternberger all go with Josh Oliver potentially, but I have him just outside of my top 102. I think you'll see that next tier of running backs, Miles Sanders, Montgomery, Henderson, Damian Harris, and maybe Travion Williams sneaks in there. Obviously, we'll probably see Drew Locke early tomorrow night. So a lot of skilled players on the board that are going to come off tomorrow night in rounds two and three. We got a lot of interesting offensive linemen still. Jawan Taylor, Cody Ford, we mentioned those guys. Elgin Jenkins, Eric McCoy, Dalton Risner, Greg Little, a lot of offensive linemen. The defensive kind of got wiped out a little bit. Cornerbacks, the strongest group of Greedy, Williams, Rocky Sin, Byron Murphy, and Lonnie Johnson, and safety Juan Thornhill. Taylor Rapp, Chauncey Gardner, Johnson. Bless you. Thank you. Uh, and then we'll see. You mentioned the linebackers before. The only linebacker I think is a lock to go off the board tomorrow night is Mac Wilson. Uh, I have a couple under the radar guys who are some surprise guys I put in my top 102 of Cody Barden and Ty Summers, but those guys could easily fall to uh, to. 
day three and be fourth round picks as well. A couple edge rushers of note, obviously Jalen Ferguson, uh, Zach Allen. I like DeAndre Walker a lot. I think you'll see some of those guys go off the board tomorrow. Chase Winovich, uh, poss- possibly uh, Christian Miller, and and obviously Polite. Uh, First round talent, but his pre-draft process has just been horrendous. I actually don't even have him being projected going off the board tomorrow night, but obviously a team could uh, invest in him, but I actually think he might be sitting there on Saturday. So it's going to be interesting nonetheless. So there it is, guys. Round one in the books. Uh, Hopefully you guys are following me along on Twitter, uh, live tweeting my thoughts on each pick. Uh, draft projections notebook started out pretty good, ended up with uh, 25 out of 32. A couple crazy things there at the end, uh, you know, missing out on some of those guys. I thought Taylor and Ford were locks to go tonight. I thought Drew Locke was a, a lock to go tonight. And I just thought I misread the cornerback board. I thought we were going to see Greedy Williams, Rocky Sin, and Byron Murphy. So those were the six guys that I kind of uh, kind of missed out there uh, on in terms of guys who I thought we're going to be first round picks. So we'll see how it goes. See how we, how many I get out of the one Oh two, my mock draft. Uh, I was able to hit on eight, eight players. So that was uh, the best, best hits obviously were Hawkinson to the lions, uh, Burns to the Panthers, Bradbury to the Vikings, and then Brown uh, to the Ravens. I think most people thought Jacobs was going to the Raiders, so I won't call that a good hit. Uh, but fun nonetheless, guys. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed this episode. I will be doing recap shows after each night as well. I'll be on Twitter. Uh, make sure you reach out to me on there and interact with me. Always love and enjoy doing that. Jake, let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter, uh, what you guys have been up to with your podcast, what you guys got going on over there at DLF or anything else you want to let the listeners know about. Sure. Well, thanks of all, Paul. Uh, really appreciate you having me on. Been following you and Matt for a long time. Really respect your guys' work. You put so much work into it. Uh, it can be tireless for us sometimes, but uh, we enjoy it, and that's why we do it. So you can find me on Twitter at jakeandersonff. I'm a writer and ranker for Dynasty League Football, and then I do a Dynasty podcast with my co-host, Peter Howard. We talk about generally one player at a time from a, both a film and metric standpoint. Um, the offseason is a little bit different. We kind of mix our shows up. We just got done talking about a startup that we were both participating in. Um, and then I think we're both going to maybe head over to this Fantasy Joe's uh, drafter party. And then tomorrow night, if you want to check us out, we're going to do a, a YouTube live stream for the Dynasty Dummies uh, for the Draft Day 2 special. And then we did that last year and it was a blast. Kind of like the, the shot cast and what you did uh, with Matt Waldman and, and, and Sig tonight. So that should be a lot of fun. So uh, thanks for having me on, Paul. And uh, maybe we'll just keep this conversation going. Absolutely, guys. Make sure you get out and and check out everything that Jake's got going on over there. Make sure you're checking out his work at DLF, checking out the podcast and all that stuff. Absolutely uh, excellent stuff there as well. So on behalf of Jake, on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, hopefully you enjoyed night one, round one of the 2019 NFL Draft. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.